Welcome to this podcast from Harvest Community Church of Huntersville, North Carolina, where our vision is to make disciples who make disciples. I'm your host, Liz Stefanini. Well, this indeed has been a great week for us at Vacation Bible School at Harvest. There's a picture that was taken on Wednesday uh, with the whole group that was here today. It was great to be around your children this week. And parents, thank you so much for trusting us with your uh, precious children. They were they were so much fun. They were they were energetic. It was funny sometimes uh, on stage. The, you could tell as the week wore on that some of the workers were getting tired, which is natural. And and the leader might say, "Are you guys tired?" And the kids would go, "No." <laughs> they had boundless energy. We did a lot of fun, as you saw in some of the presentation. They enjoyed snacks. I, I tried to ask a few along the way, "Hey, what's your favorite favorite thing?" A lot of them said snacks. They loved the games that uh, they got to play. Uh, every day there was a craft, and they really, really enjoyed that and made some really neat things. Uh, obviously, the music was great, and just just having fun, just being goofy sometimes, uh, they did that. And every day there was uh, some teaching from the Bible, so we really, really loved having them. You know, children can provide some very interesting conversation. There were, I was interested in this because as a pastor, back before email, there was a a, a compilation of some of the letters that children wrote to their pastor. So for instance, dear pastor, I know God loves everyone, but he never met my sister. Yours sincerely, Arnold, age eight, Nashville. Here's one from 10-year-old Patty from New Haven. Dear Pastor, I'm sorry I can't leave more money in the plate, but my father did not give me a raise in my allowance. Could you have a sermon about a raise in my allowance? Some children had very specific requests to ask. Dear Pastor... Uh, this was Laurie, age 10, from New York City. Uh, Dear Pastor, pre- please pray for all the airline pilots. P.S. I'm flying to California tomorrow. Alexander, age 10, in Raleigh said, Dear Pastor, please pray or say a prayer for our Little League team. We need God's help or a new pitcher. And finally, Ralph, age 11, from Akron, said, Dear Pastor, I liked your sermon on Sunday, especially when it was finished. (laughs) So I'm going to give you a sermon today that you're going to like. And the reason why I know that is because it is going to be finished. (laughs) At Harvest, we teach the Bible every Sunday. That's what we do. And... I thought it would be interesting to ask the question, why vacation Bible school, and actually to answer it from the Bible. So in the Gospel of Luke, the Bible is divided into two parts, Old Testament and New Testament, and you come into the second half, the New Testament, there's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. This is a some stories and accounts about Jesus and his life. In Luke chapter 18, uh, listen to these verses. People were also... 
bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. So we had two major goals at Vacation Bible School this week. And they're reflected in this passage. And the first one was to communicate God's love for children. If you like to take notes on that outline sheet that you've got, there's some blanks or some places you can fill in these blanks. Uh, this is the first goal that we had. It was to communicate God's love. You see, people at that day were bringing babies to children. So, or to Jesus so that, so they could place their hands on them. And that was pretty typical. Uh, a respected rabbi is very typical for people to bring their young children to that rabbi who would put their hands on them and, and bless them. And he would say some sort of blessing over them that would uh, be along the lines of bestowing health or, or, or life or, or, or good things on them. So it's very typical for this to be happening. And so they did it with Jesus. Now, look what the disciples did. His followers, what did they think about it? Well, it says they rebuked them. They rebuked them. In other words, they didn't share Jesus' values. They thought, oh, well, Jesus has too many important things to do uh, to uh, bother with these children right now. Maybe this will wear him out. Maybe he has other meetings and people and things he needs to do. And so they're actually saying, no, no, you, you need to stop doing that. But notice what Jesus says in verse 16. Jesus called the children to him and said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I don't ever recall the disciples saying that to adults like, oh, don't bother Jesus. But it just showed that their heart wasn't yet where Jesus wanted it to be. But his heart was clearly, I want children around me. I want to help them. The kingdom of God belongs to them. One of the main goals of this Vacation Bible School and everyone we've ever had was to communicate to kids that you matter to God. Every one of you matter to God, no matter how old you are, how young you are, how popular you are, how fast or slow you are, how big or small you are, how much people like you in school or don't like you in school, God loves you and you matter to God. And we were trying to communicate that to your children. That was our first goal. But there's another goal that we had, and that is as we continue in the passage, that's in verse 17, and that is to teach children and adults how they can enter God's kingdom. So Vacation Bible School is not just for children. It's for children and it's for adults because in this same passage, Jesus says some pretty important words. After allowing and inviting the children around him, he he looks at them. And he says, truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. 
Now, that's very important for you and me if you think about this. Jesus wants you and me to enter the kingdom of God. But he said the only way you can do it is like a little child. So we need to ask the question, what does that mean? What does it mean for us who are adults to enter the kingdom of God like a little child? Now, the kingdom of God, of course, is God's rule. It's God's reign. It's God's presence. It's where everybody wants to be ultimately. But we need to enter it like a little child. What does that mean? He doesn't mean being childish. Sometimes children can be childish and immature. He's not talking about that. He's talking about being childlike. There are a lot of things that differentiate children from adults. And one of them is the matter of trust. Children are so trusting, aren't they? It, it's often not until we get older that we learn to mistrust people. But children trust. They're simple. They're honest. They, they just, they trust people. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at here, that we need to have that same kind of trust in our life. Verse 17 says, this is how you enter the kingdom of God. You basically admit, I can't do it on my own. I'm not good enough to be your follower. I am not the kind of person that deserves to be in the kingdom of God. But, but Jesus, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you and ask you to make me that kind of person. Now, what does that look like for adults? What does it look like for us to be childlike, to have that kind of trust? Well, we don't have to speculate because in this very same passage... Jesus gives a story of two people. And I want to read that to you from verses 9, beginning at verse 9. This is right before he said these words about allowing children to come up. Verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So... I've got a little chart here that just kind of tries to differentiate between what it is like, what the Pharisee was like, and what his attitude and action, basically what his, the characteristic, what his motto was, what his focus was, and then the tax collector. So this is a story Jesus is telling to two men. One's a Pharisee. Who were the Pharisees? They were the religious leaders of the day. They were the people that everybody looked up to. 
If anybody, if you ask anybody in the first century uh, around uh, Jerusalem, who are the spiritual leaders? Who are the most the people that are closest to God? Who are the wise people? Who could give us good advice? They would have pointed to people like the Pharisees. They were in the religious system of the day. They were the leaders. Now, who were the tax collectors? You know what? Nobody's ever liked tax collectors then or now. (laughs) They were viewed as evil. They were viewed as the scum of the earth. Because, you see, the Roman government was in charge of collecting money. But the way they did it, they would hire these tax collectors who were basically independent contractors. And the tax collectors would go to each region and they, they would collect however much they want. Rome didn't care how much they collected just as long as they got their cut. And so the tax collectors were notorious for collecting too much and lining their own pockets. So you see, you've got a Pharisee over here that's the standard religious leader. And then you've got a tax collector that nobody likes. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, I'm not sure I fit either one of those categories. I'm not a religious leader, but I'm also not the scum of the earth. But here is what's important. These two men in the story picture for us two different ways you and I can encounter God. I think every one of us is like the Pharisee in how we approach God, or we are like the tax collector. So it's not that you are a Pharisee or you are a tax collector, but it's that we want to look at them and we want to say, hey, which one am I? What, what's my view towards God? And remember, all of this is Jesus answering the question for us. This is what it's like to enter the kingdom of God. This is what it's like to go to heaven. These are the people who are going to be able to, the ones who are childlike. Well, let's walk it through. Let me just quickly give you these three answers for each of them. Or the characteristic for the Pharisee, I would call it proud effort. Verse 11, he stood by himself. And what did he pray? God, I thank you that I'm not like these other people. And then he names various people who've sinned. Or even like this tax collector. You know, it's never a good thing when you're praying and you're thinking about other people and how they measure up, right? He, that's what he's doing. He's like comparing himself. I have pride. I'm not like them. I think most people in our society think of themselves as pretty good. You know, I'm, I'm okay. I, I haven't robbed any banks. I haven't murdered anybody. I haven't harmed any children. And yet, maybe we have the wrong standard. Maybe we're just comparing ourselves, uh, not with God and what He expects, but just with the lowest common denominator. Th- this can be proud effort. Now, in contrast to that, what about, what about the tax collector? I call it humble trust. Notice the things that are highlighted in green there on your screen. He stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up. I mean, he, you know, the Pharisees over here like, like this and, and he's, I envision him being kind of like this. He wouldn't look up. He beat his chest and he just said, God, 
have mercy. That's their characteristic. How about their motto? I think the motto of the Pharisee was, I'm trying. (laughs) I'm trying. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. Now, in the Jewish system of the day, fasting obviously was going without food and they were only really required to do it once a year. But he says, he, I'm going beyond. I'm doing it two times every week. And they were also required to give a tenth of what they earned, not of what they get. So even like if somebody gave them extra gifts, you didn't have to tithe or give a tenth of that. But he's like, I tithe on everything. You see what this guy's doing? He's, he's trying. And I've found that often, that a lot of people are sincerely trying to be good people. They're trying. It's almost like thinking in heaven, when you get to heaven, there's going to be a scale or something. And if, if there's more good on this side than, than bad, you'll go in. That, that, that's mistaken, as we'll see in a minute. But, but that's what this guy's doing. He's, he's really trying. And how about our friend, the tax collector? What is he doing? He's trusting. I'm trusting. That's his motto. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Focus isn't on himself. He knows he's wrong. But the focus is on God. And trusting God to be the one that saves him. And helps him and makes him fit to go to heaven. Finally, what's their focus? The Pharisees' focus is on what I do. Notice he prayed about himself. And then in verse 12, he starts talking about this. I I fast twice a week and I tithe of all I get. There are four times... In two verses that this Pharisee, as he's praying, uses the word I. (laughs) I do this. I do that. He made the same mistake that a lot of people make today, thinking that you can impress God or earn brownie points by being good, by going through religious rituals, by being a member of a church or being baptized or confirmed or giving money to the poor. All these things that are good in themselves, but they're not designed to try to get you to heaven. They're really designed as a response. Once God comes into your life through Jesus Christ and makes you a Christian, that's just the response of others out of his love. It's not like you're trying to earn God's love. It's, it's, you're just reflecting it. So the focus here is what I do, but the focus of the tax collector is what God does. See what he says? God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And so now in verse 14, Jesus himself gives us his assessment of the situation. I tell you that this man, and he was pointing to the Pharisee. I'm sorry, he was, he was pointing to the tax collector. This man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, there's, there's a word in there I'd like to define, and that's the word justified. What does it mean that he went home justified? Well, That's like a legal term when you stand before a judge and the judge looks at you 
And not only says you're not guilty, but the judge declares you innocent. The judge gives you a standing that you are okay. You are right with me. You have no obligations. God in heaven is the judge of the earth. He's the judge of the whole world. And the way to be justified, the way to be right with him, the way for him to look at you and me and declare, you're right. You can come to heaven. Is just what he's talking about right here. It's through faith. It's through trusting him. Later in the New Testament, a man named Paul will write these words. We know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Many people try one way or the other. They're like, okay, if I can pile up my good deeds, that'll make me okay with God. That's not what, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that it is by faith. To enter heaven, we must trust Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. It's not as difficult as it may sound or seem. If we make it complicated, that's on us, not on the Bible. We need to just focus on Jesus and his cross when he died. That's what he was doing. He wasn't setting a good example. He was basically paying our price, knowing that we weren't justified. We weren't right with him. We didn't have any way to go to heaven on our own. We couldn't pile up enough good deeds. He's like, you know what? I've never sinned, but I will take their price for them. He died on the cross. He was buried. He rose again. And now he says, come to me. (laughs) Come to me. Be my follower. Put your faith in me. So can I ask you this morning, which one of these two are you more like? Are you more like the Pharisee who's trying? Maybe you're you're focusing on, am I doing enough good things for God to accept me? Or are you like the tax collector and you just admit and know, I can't do enough good things I need, I need God in my life. I, I'm going to trust him. I'm going to put my faith in him. I hope that today, if anybody here is or listening online to our live stream, I'm, hope, I'm hoping that you might have a change of heart. You might have a change of mind. You might realize, you know, I've been like that Pharisee. And I really want to be like the tax collector. I want to put my trust in Jesus Christ. All week long, there were these five little things that we kept saying to the kids. God rules, we sin, God provided, Jesus gives, and we respond. And that's the message of the gospel. The gospel just means good news. That's the good news. God is overall, but we have all done wrong, which separated us from him. And yet God provided by sending Jesus, his son, to die, And now Jesus offers us a present of eternal life. And it's up to us to respond and put our faith in him. Let me ask you a question. We're going to close in a minute. Did anybody ever, like I did, 
collect baseball cards back in the day when you were a kid? How many of you collected baseball cards? I had shoe boxes kind of full of them. Um, there was there were some cards that were called future stars cards, and that, I'm giving you some images of a of one of those cards. That's why it's kind of grainy because these are not new. <laughs> uh, not as many pixels back in those days as there are today. This is one third of a card. Uh, at one point, this one card was valued at more than a hundred dollars. One one card. Now I I got the baseball cards. We would buy we'd buy them with the bubble gum in it, and then the the card, and and save them for like you know five cents or something. There were three players on this card. The first one was a man named Jeff Snyder. Jeff Snyder played one year of professional baseball. He pitched in eleven games. He gave up 13 earned runs in those 11 games. The second player on that card was a guy named Bob Bonner. Remember, these are future stars. So these are, these are guys entering into the league early in their career. Bobby Bonner played four years of baseball. He appeared in 61 games. He had eight RBIs and no home runs. But there was another guy on this card who played for 21 years for the Baltimore Orioles. He appeared in 3,001 games. He came to bat 11,551 times. He collected 3,184 hits and 431 home runs. And he batted in 1,695 runs. His name was Cal Ripken, Jr. Now, here's the actual card with all three of them together on that card. You've got Bonner, Ripken, and Snyder. How many of you before today have heard of Cal Ripken? You know who Cal Ripken, one of the famous baseball players. How many of you have heard of Jeff Snyder? How many of you heard of Bob Bonner? All right. Suppose if you met Bobby Bonner and you said, hey, congratulations, Bobby, your card is worth more than a hundred bucks. Do you think he would go? Yeah, it's because I had such a great career. (laughs) Or you went to Jeff Snyder and said, your card is worth more than a hundred bucks. Well, he just played a couple years and didn't do anything of, of great significance in baseball. The reason why that card was worth more than a hundred bucks was because of Cal Ripken. And those other guys were tagging along with him. They happened to be on the same card. In other words, it was not their merits that made the car valuable. It was Cal Ripken's. And I think that is a good picture of what it's like between us and God. If we had a baseball card and we might put our picture on one side and somebody else's picture over here and a picture of Jesus Christ in the middle, the reason why that card would be valuable, the reason why that card would be enough allow someone to enter the kingdom of heaven to go to heaven would not be because of us because we've worked hard and we've done great things 
It would be because of Jesus. Does that make sense? That's the message today. Trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. Don't depend on yourself. Don't depend on your good works. Depend on Him. And that's my question for you today. Will you put your trust in Him and not in your own statistics? Will you bow your heads with me, please? I want to give you a minute just to reflect on what you've heard from God's Word today. And maybe some of you right where you are, uh, this, my invitation to you is we're not trying to get you to come join our church or join a religion. In fact, this isn't about religion at all. This is about relationship. This is about you and God. And I want to give you a minute. Some of you might want to talk to him right now. That's what prayer is. It's just talking to God, just like we talk to each other. It's just talking to God and just saying to him, I've been like that Pharisee. I've been putting my hope in the wrong things. I want to put my hope in you. Thanks again for joining us today from Harvest Community Church. This podcast is also available on our website, harvestcharlotte.com. Please go there if you want to send a question or comment learn more about our ministries, or find out how you can donate to support the podcast.